encountering strangers, the unknown others that appear in daily life, can be the start of a deeply transformative journey. Pema and I met in the Doctor of Ministry program at Claremont School of Theology in 2017. Our journey has taken us into deeply healing and revealing spaces that have both bolstered us in this difficult time and enabled us to serve others with more compassion and clarity. Many people have engaged in interfaith ministries, working alongside each other to care for the sacred other. Our story is a little different. We were challenged to share a practice across religious traditions to explore how this shared practice deepens the embodied spirituality and heals suffering. The results we want to share with you will amaze you and fill you with hope for the future. As Pema and I sat down to discuss what we might like to share in our final episodes, we thought about doing something completely off script, something different from what we share in the book. And we decided to have a conversation about sin and karma. Now, I think dialogue in interfaith situations or dialoguing with people who are different from us is in fact, a practice. And what I love about our conversation today is that there's not only celebrating uh, similarities, there's also honoring differences. But I think it goes even a little deeper than that. There's a way in which you can dialogue with a partner, a style of listening that allows you to take in what they are saying and you become open to changing your own belief or way of seeing things. And you find these treasures where you might not have expected them. And it is such a beautiful experience to allow another person to uh, say things that you then think about and explore for yourself, and it changes your perspective. It offers you new insight into something you thought you really had uh, down pat. And so today, I invite you to listen in as Pema and I talk about sin and karma from our own unique perspectives. Well, welcome to the fifth episode in our series from Unknown Other to Sacred Other. My name is Amber. And my name is Pema. And today we're going to be talking about karma and sin. This is a really interesting conversation, and I'm uh, excited to dialogue with you about this, Pema. Uh, this idea came to me this week. I had my final uh, recognition of ordination interview. And in that interview, one of the uh, people who uh, were devising questions for me asked me 
And he did so in such a gentle way. He said, I'm not going to assume that you have um, a concept of sin in your theology. Um, But if you do, I would love for you to to share what your idea and understanding of sin is. And it was such a lovely invitation, the way he invited me to share uh, my understanding, um, because he made it very personal to me. And so as we uh, introduce this topic today, I just want to say that I'll be speaking only from my journey with understanding the concept of sin, and I won't be speaking necessarily for all Christians, um, but just my own journey and understanding. I think that's a good point to make, Amber. I also, in my tradition, um, I also feel like I'm not qualified to comment very deeply about karma and I often rely on my teacher to um, illuminate people on the machinations of karma. Uh, as a matter of fact, she's coming out with a book in, in uh, October here on karma, and it's, it's quite a large book. There's a lot to say about it. Um, but at the same time, I think it's a really important conversation for us to have. It's come up in the process of our research and I'm really excited to have a conversation today. So for myself also, I'm commenting from my own personal experience and not really um, from the Buddhist tradition in general. Okay, I think that's good just to clarify so that we know what our starting point is. Um, and so as I was asked that question in my ordination interview, it really gave me a moment to pause and reflect on um, the journey that has taken place over the course of uh, several decades. Um, My first understanding of sin that I can remember really was, um, I started exploring the idea in junior high. And I was uh, in a different tradition than I currently am, but within the Christian uh, faith, and really struggling to understand how to be connected, how a human being could stay in relationship or connection with um, a God who is good and great and pure and uh, holy, loving and compassionate. And uh, my view of myself was that I am not any of those things. And so how do I stay in relationship um, with God? And so I actually used the practice of baptism to kind of clear and purify and make a reconnection with God. And that may sound interesting uh, to some, but I was sprinkled as a baby in the Methodist church. And then in junior high, we are a part of uh, the non-denominational church and we had summer camps and it was always offered, would you like to get baptized? And so I think in the period of those three years of junior high, I think I was baptized like four times. And and that's something that I was just trying to figure out. 
how could a sinful human being relate to a, a holy God and finding a sense of reconnection through baptism? Now, as I have grown to understand uh, baptism as a, a one-time practice, um, baptism as a symbolic way of being buried with Christ and rising to walk in new, newness of life, and as a practice that helps us uh, in our orientation of how we see ourselves, um, not so much a change in how God views us, but in a change in how we see ourselves. So my understanding of baptism has changed, and I'm not continuing to uh, be rebaptized as a, an adult. Um, but I think it's it's an interesting journey to understand that God has always seen me as beautiful, whole, complete, um, a part of God's creation and is is drawing these qualities of love and compassion um, out um, so that I'm offering my best self to the world. Um, but this idea of sin being this separation from God, my understanding now is that that really is um, a human view. God doesn't see that and and see a separation between us, but that we see a separation. There's some sort of um, blockage or obstacle or obstruction or a sense of confusion about who we are as image bearers of the divine. Um, so that would be how I would categorize sin now, is it is a human view of what is uh, standing in my way from feeling the sense of connection um, with the divine and, and not a view that God has of us. Um, but that's something I've really grown into. And I think it helps, it helped me to relate that to human relationships. I can sense when there is something between me and another person um, that we need to talk about, that there's just something that our relationship can't move forward because there's this obstacle in our path that we haven't addressed. And so going to the person and uh, opening myself up to offer apology, offer a listening ear, um, gaining greater understanding of what that blockage uh, is between us kind of helped me reorient to what um, sin is between God and I. So Amber, are you saying that um, God is always in relationship with us and always open to us, but we um, sometimes have trouble either connecting with God or sensing God because of the function of sin that it actually separates us? I would say that there are things that um, come up in our lives um, that give us a sense that we are, some people, some Christians might say, not following the packets of Jesus, that we have fallen away, maybe some Christians would use. Um, 
but there's this sense that yes, that there that the relationship is strained or that there's a, a block, and that I would say whatever that thing is, that that is what I would call sin today. Okay. <clears throat> and is it? Um, can you give us a practical example of? of how that's experienced in the world? Sure. Uh, for me, uh, I think, you know, as I just shared in my journey, my view of myself um, as I was growing up as a, uh, a person who didn't have love and compassion and wasn't wholly pure and, and all that. So my view of myself actually was the sin that was blocking me from connection with God. And so I was trying to cleanse myself in order to reestablish this connection, which is, is, is a way, I guess, to go about that from a, a middle school person's perspective. Uh, but really, it's that thought pattern of kind of my understanding of who I am and who God has created me to be, and then shifting to a sense of, oh, wow, God has created me in God's image. And a process that I'm invited into as a human is to come into God's likeness. So as I express more of my healthy self in the world, my best self, um, that I'm following the path of living into the likeness of God. Okay. That makes sense. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, should I talk a little bit about karma? Yes, please. So <clears throat> there are some traditional ways of describing karma. It's often defined as causes and conditions the accumulation of causes and conditions. So a cause would be like a seed that you plant. And the conditions would be like the soil and the sunlight and the water and the things that would be needed in order for that seed to grow into fruition, into whatever its result would be, a mustard tree, a maple tree, um, a tomato plant or the tomato, whatever it is. Um, and because we're confused um, about the way things work in the world, <clears throat> excuse me, we inadvertently plant all kinds of different seeds and we create all kinds of different conditions. Um, but we're not really aware of what kinds of causes and conditions that we've created in life. So when we're confused, we can't quite tell. We're trying to, and I'm sure you can think of an example where you were trying to do something good and positive and it just didn't have the result that you wanted. And that's a very simplified analogy um, that we're accumulating causes and conditions in ways that we don't exactly understand. We see the world working in ways that we don't exactly understand. And then we get a result that we don't exactly expect. Um, and so these causes and conditions accumulate over time and produce the ripening or the fruit of whatever seeds that we have planted. 
And in terms of planting these seeds, we often think uh, in the West, we often think, well, I sought it, but I didn't say anything. You know, I, I might have thought a negative thought, but I didn't perform a negative action. But the things that we think are actually the things that are strong, most strongly imprinting in us. So karma, um, karma comes from the causes and conditions we produce, not only in our actions, but also by our thoughts and our attitudes, our states of mind. So if we are um, doing things from a negative motivation, if we're engaging in thoughts from a negative perspective, then we accumulate negative seeds. If we do things that are positive, we accumulate positive seeds. And if we do things that are neutral, we can, we accumulate neutral seeds that they're, they're just um, neither positive or negative. Um, so all of this is going on in the background of our lives. And as negative thoughts and actions accumulate, they kind of further cloud our thinking. They further cloud our um, understanding of the world around us. And we kind of call them obscurations. And if they become even more reinforced in our lives, we might call them obstacles in our life that we are trying to accomplish something positive, but we always seem to be blocked for some reason from accomplishing that positive thing. Now in our tradition, in Buddhism in general, um, most traditions in Buddhism do not have a savior per se. We have a sense of responsibility that we ourselves must free ourselves from this confusion and create a more positive set of causes and conditions in our own lives. And the reason that we want to do that um, at the very beginning might be because we want to benefit ourselves. We want to feel better. Um, we want to be healthier. We want to have better relationships. But as we practice, we begin to realize that the people around us are also suffering from the same confusion and these unintended results from the accumulation of causes and conditions. And we become very interested um, in caring for them and helping others also free themselves from the confusion that leads to unintended causes and conditions in life. That's a really accessible way, I think, uh, to talk about karma. Um, I know when I was first introduced to the idea, I couldn't quite grasp um, how it how it worked, how it, it fit. Uh, I think maybe some of the um, sort of more, I guess, fad um, quotes about karma or whatever that are on Facebook and different things can really uh, <laughs> not attribute um, uh, the fullness of what you've just shared with us today. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I you know, a lot of people think if I perform this good action right in this moment, then with this person, then they should be uh, good to me in the immediately following moment. And that's how right. karma works. And I've been taught by my own teacher that 
karma is much more complex. It's a very complex mathematical formula. It's very easy to understand causes and conditions, but we can't say that this one positive action has this one positive result unless we've really cleared all of the confusion in our lives, which is uh, definitely um, takes work and effort to do. Yes. You know, um, in thinking about, you were talking, asking me about examples um, of sin. And I think uh, in hearing you speak about karma, um, you know, there is uh, somewhat, I think I could say, a relationship between, um, you know, Christians can uh, have sin in their lives of thought, of uh, word, uh, of spoken word, of uh, an action um, that seems like a separation between maybe uh, yourself and another human being, but also causes um, a strain in the relationship from a human point of view um, with God, because we know we're not following the loving and compassionate path that, that Jesus would uh, have us uh, follow. Um, and so I think that in some ways, would you say relates to karma? Yeah, I think it does. I mean, the more that you and I have talked about karma in the past, the more I felt that there are very strong parallels. And it's kind of funny because um, you and I both told our publisher, we're not really interested in theological comparisons. <laughs> what we're interested in is how to help people be happier and healthier and how to, how to reduce or eliminate suffering, that that actually brings you and I together. And here we are tripping over this <laughs> theological comparison between sin and karma. And I just have to laugh. But I yeah. would say, I, th I think they have, um, you know, there are a number of definitions of and ways of understanding sin. And the same is true for karma. But I think if you and I just take our personal understandings and viewpoints, we can start to see that there's a lot of synergies between the two. Perhaps they're not exactly the same. Perhaps our beliefs um, might not mesh in some perspectives, even about sin and karma, but there's so much there that brings us together and helps us understand, you know, why are people suffering today? Um, yeah. In this case, there's an unintended, I think it's true for Christians too, unintended blockage or an unintended obstacle that has be been created by the negative aspect of our thoughts and actions in our lives. Would you say that's true for sin? I would say yes. That in, in my way, I understand sin that yes, that is true. And I think that's why conversations like this um, really matter. Um, because I, I agree in, in so many ways, um, as I listen to you speak, I think, oh, there are, there are moments where I feel this just connection that we could, uh, speak, you know, really clearly together, um, about, uh, sin and karma and, and its effects, um, on our lives and, and our desire to relieve the suffering that people experience. Um, and yet really appreciate 
the the differences. And uh, as you speak, I it opens up even a, a bigger perspective for me uh, on sin and uh, allows me the opportunity to continue my spiritual growth and understanding um, of concepts as important as sin. Yeah, I think also what I've taken from our conversation is really, I mean, even our conversation about sin has really helped me understand the concept of baptism more, which is sort of the the removal of sin as as in different ways, depending upon how you relate to your baptism. Uh, I understand that. But also in my tradition, there's a kind of blamelessness that because the, these accumulations were never really intended in the way that they were accumulated, um, that, that there's really no one to blame for that. There is a responsibility. We, we are responsible for our own actions, but we didn't intend it. And so there's a kind of blamelessness. And when we take blame out of the equation, often we take shame out of the equation too. Um, that gives us a very different relationship to sin or karma. It also gives us a different relationship to each other, a relationship that can be lighter and more open so that when we're experiencing challenges, um, we have a more positive basis to actually address those challenges from because they're, we don't go immediately to blame or shame. We instead go to this um, shared experience as humans that we are all challenged in our understanding of how to accomplish the well-being and health that we intend in the world. It makes me think back to um, kind of my understanding of the story in Genesis of Adam and Eve in the garden and how uh, in some of the traditions that I, Christian traditions that I participated in, there was a lot of blame and shame on one or more of the characters from disobeying God and, and eating the apple. And, and so we carry that with us, that there's this sense of blame and shame on us that we as humans um, are not right, um, uh, not whole, not complete. And uh, we carry that with us as we grow into adulthood. Um, and as I have grown into adulthood and studied the scriptures and um, become a, a minister in the Christian faith, I've realized that my uh, faith now is rooted in, you know, similar passage right next to it there in, in Genesis, but where it talks about that, you know, God has created us in God's image and that we are created good, in fact, very good. Um, and so there, there's a big difference of whether you believe in the inherent goodness uh, of yourself and of your neighbor versus seeing them as inherently sinful and thus there's shame and blame there. Yeah, we, in my tradition, we say that we're beings of light, that all humans are beings of light. And there's some science behind that, right? Matter is made of energy and of light. But 
if we saw each other as as beings of great potential as beings of light um, wouldn't it change I, I think it would just change our baseline of how we relate to each other if we could see each other in our lightness of being versus in the density of being um, and that may not be a familiar term for some of our listeners but in our in our research study we actually found that the experience of light and lightness of being um, was a theme throughout the study maybe we'll have to talk about that in the future oh i think that is uh something to look forward to well, to our listeners, if you are interested in this type of dialogue and Pima and my growing relationship, we invite you to read the book. Get the book, read it. Um, there's a lot there. And there's also a lot that we haven't written about quite yet. And so that means we are excited about future works together as well. Thank you for joining us today. If you would like to read more about Pima and my story, you can find our book on Amazon. The title is A Leap of Interfaith, Finding Treasures Through Shared Practices.